Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. It's actually a favorite song of mine, one that I have been singing for a whole lot of years now. Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. All it takes is a rake and a hoe and a piece of fertile ground. It's a great song written by David Mallet of Maine. And it reminds us that in truth of fact, it takes even more than this to make the garden grow. It also takes someone to bless the seeds we sow. It takes God. And so it is, says Jesus, with the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's the subject of today's message, which is based on Jesus' parable of the seeds from Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 34. And it's entitled, When God Grows the Garden. Well, let me just say up front that if you happen to be someone like me, one who is, shall we say, horticulturally challenged, then you have got to love our scripture reading for this morning. The kingdom of God, says Jesus, is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day and the seed would sprout and grow, he knows not how. Actually, this is one of those cases where the message translation of this passage hits even closer to the heart of it. It reads in that translation, God's kingdom is like seed thrown on a field by a man who then goes to bed and forgets about it. That's my kind of gardening, folks. Plant it and forget it. It actually reminds me, and I'm sure I have told you this story in the past, of the vegetable garden that Lisa and I attempted to grow, uh, I think one of the very first summers that we were married. The garden was, to say the very least, a dismal failure. Because, frankly, we didn't put a whole lot of effort into it. But the interesting thing was, is that we did yield a bumper crop of beautiful butternut squash, which was amazing because we didn't even plant butternut squash. <laughs> Turns out, this is the thing actually, we'd been the unknowing beneficiaries of one who had sown seed on that particular garden plot the year before. Seeds which were nestled safely in that soil all the previous winter and which came spring had just taken off all on their own. So we ended up that fall with more squash than we could possibly use and we didn't do a scrit of work to make it happen. Now of course Mark's gospel notwithstanding any one of us here who has ever seriously planted a garden will be quick to assure us that the whole idea of plant it and forget it farming is ultimately, to say the least, unrealistic. Because whether we are talking about a backyard garden plot or a 40-acre field, the fact remains that planting a garden is hard work. And it leaves surprisingly little time for sleep. It's true. The farmer plants a summer crop. 
The gardener plants a few rows of vegetables. Yes, but make no mistake, then they fertilize, then they cultivate, then they pull the weeds, then they pick the rocks, then they check for insects and blight, and they worry night and day about all the uncertainties. Heat, frost, too much rain, too little rain, storms, critters, and who knows what else. Every one of which can drastically affect the harvest one way or the other. And yet, isn't it interesting? For all the work and worry that goes into growing the garden, ultimately the gardener can only hope that the seeds planted will produce a full and abundant crop. To quote Sarah Dillon Brewer, no farmer, no matter how clever, can make seeds grow. She can participate in the process by influencing the conditions to make them more conducive to growth, watering, composting, and so on. But the gifts of life and growth, they come from God, and only from God. God who graciously created a fruitful earth and who gives without calculation of deserving the gifts of sun and of rain. So, the farmer can scatter the seed, though how that seed sprouts and grows, at the end of the day, he just doesn't know. Ultimately, our text says today, the earth produces of itself until that moment at last when the grain is ripe and ready for harvesting. That's how it is with sowing seeds for the garden. And according to Jesus, that's also how it is regarding the kingdom of God. In the end, you see, where this kingdom is concerned, it's not all about what we do that matters, but what God is doing in our midst. Now, today's reading from Mark that Gail shared with us this morning is actually one of several parables of Jesus that are found in the fourth chapter that all have to do with the planting, sowing, and harvesting of seeds. What we need to remember, of course, is that when Jesus shared these parables with his disciples and others who had gathered around him hungry for his teaching, this was Jesus' way of presenting a very radical message, that of the coming of God's kingdom. He told these parables so they could understand. And in fact, Mark makes a point of saying that, that at least in his public ministry, Jesus did not speak to them except in parables. So, the purpose of this parable of the growing seed, along with the, the very familiar parable of the mustard seed that follows it, was to point out the inevitable coming of the kingdom. Indeed, the flourishing of the kingdom of God. How God, in ways that they could not begin to see or understand, was even at that very moment doing the mysterious work that would make this kingdom come to fruition. And moreover, as the story of the mustard seed turns out, that kingdom would be coming soon and very soon in grand and glorious fashion. 
Jesus, you see, wanted them and us to know that as his followers, we have an important part in getting ready for this to happen. But that the larger part of the kingdom's coming is going to be done in God's faithful work amongst us. It'll be found in the clear evidence of God's presence and power that we see before us in each and every new day. As well as in God's mysterious gifts of grace and love that so often remain hidden from our sight and our understanding. Ultimately, where this particular garden that Jesus is speaking of is concerned, how it grows is really, really not up to us. There's another gardener at work. And that gardener is the God of mystery and wonder who is ever and always working the soil for an abundant harvest. And I'll tell you what, friends, I don't know about you, but that happens to be good news that I need to hear. Because, you see, I have to confess to you here today that as regards my spiritual gardening, shall we say, I am one of those who all too often labors under the false notion that I can do everything that's necessary to make that garden grow. That is, if only I work long enough or hard enough or to be good enough in my life. If I can do all of that, then this little garden plot that I call my life is going to flourish with goodness and and with all things righteous. And the thing is, just as I know that's true of me, I can also say with great assuredness that I'm not alone in that notion. Certainly, the people of Jesus' time, they were trying to cultivate their own righteousness before God, and we are no different, really, in that so many of us will do anything and everything to attain this self-created garden of meaning and purpose and righteousness in our lives. But you see, the problem with all of this, it sounds all very good as I lay it out to you like this, but but the problem is, is it just doesn't work. There's far too much in our lives that's both unexpected and out of our control. There are too many storms we face along the way, too many, and it makes it impossible for us to hold it all together indefinitely. In truth, you see, sometimes the pain and the frustration of life has a way of increasing, doesn't it? Things pile on with one another to the point that we begin to wonder if we ever had what it takes to grow that spiritual garden. If we ever had the ability, what it takes to live a life with real dignity and integrity and with faith. And worst of all, maybe we begin to lament that maybe we've been alone in that effort to grow a spiritual garden. Maybe we have been on our own right from the very start. So here's the good news of the gospel, friends. We're not alone. We're not alone in the effort. We've never been alone in the effort. Even though life's many unsettling storms, 
even though all the murky uncertainties of life are such that we don't always see as clearly as we'd like, and even though the anticipated harvest might seem to us to be so slow in coming that it won't come at all, fact is we are given the assurance that through it all, through all the storms, through all the fog, through all the cold, through all the heat, the dryness and drought, through it all, the garden's been growing. And that's because God has ever and always been about the work of that garden, tilling the soils of our lives with purpose and power. The message of this little parable that Gail shared with us is that in ways both subtle and incredibly profound, God is producing the harvest of his kingdom around us, but even more importantly, within us. And he'll make our garden grow as well. If only we will have faith in that promise he makes. But that's the hard part, isn't it? Hard to let go of our own control of things and let God do the gardening. Hard to concede that even when things seem to be at their worst, God is still working for the best. Hard to trust when the evidence is so very hard to see. Finally, you see, it is trust in God that makes all the difference. We need to trust in God. Mark Tabb, in his book entitled Out of the Whirlwind, writes that God tells us to trust him enough to believe that he knows what he's doing. When his actions don't make sense to us, Tab writes, trust him. When the windows of heaven seem to be open extra wide and life can't get any better, trust him. When the bottom falls out and life turns hard, trust him. Good times and bad, happy and sad, trust him. What will God do? Tab goes on to ask. And his answer is this, I have no idea, but I do know this. God isn't making things up on the fly. He knows what he's doing. I must trust him enough to entrust my life to him, even when I would rather not. Now, what we need to understand, friends, is this isn't blind optimism. This isn't pie-in-the-sky thinking we're talking about here. Jesus is not saying that we need only sit around and wait effortlessly and mindlessly for God to get the job done. It's no better for us to neglect our part in cultivating the garden than for us to carry the whole burden of it by ourselves. What this is, friends, is a partnership, a partnership of grace that is rooted in the relationship that exists between us and God. It's always important to have that partnership. Now, as you can imagine, having a daughter who is a dance teacher and choreographer 
over the years, I have come to greatly appreciate not only the sheer grace and beauty of dance, but also to recognize the hard work and the incredible effort that goes into making it seem so effortless. It also serves as a reminder that I am not a dancer. But I feel like I've learned so much about it over the years. And it's also forced me, incidentally, for better or for worse, to watch programs like World of Dance or my favorite, So You Think You Can Dance, with a much more critical eye, like I'm some kind of expert or something. And granted, by no stretch am I any kind of effort. But I can say this. It's one thing to watch these shows and see some wannabe dancer jump around on the stage and, and quite another to bear witness to the discipline and the precision it takes to put forth the kind of performance that will move you to tears. This is particularly true on these shows when they get to the point when they start pairing up the dancers as duet partners. I remember a few seasons back, it was So You Think You Can Dance, I think, and one of the dancers in the competition, a young woman who had been on the bottom three of the vote received that week. There's always a bottom three. And this young woman was told by the British Simon Cowell-type judge that always are on these shows that he could actually forgive her mistakes, that he could look past the sloppiness in her performance because, he said, she had been let down by her dance partner, that her dancing, good or bad, was a reflection of the poor work that her partner had done. Boy, I got to tell you, I would have hated to be the partner at that moment. Well, friends, speaking of parables, there's one for you about what happens between us and God. And it goes like this. Each one of us has a partner in this dance of life. And it has always been the intent of this partner that as we go round and round on the dance floor, together we will create something beautiful. And even though you and I inevitably seems, at least I will, stumble and fall in the midst of the effort, the good news is that we'll never fail in the dance. And that's because even in the smallest of our movements, our partner, God, has taken the lead. God never lets us down. God helps us to move in all the right ways. God works with us continually over and over again to create something greater than we could ever have done on our own and greater than anything we could have possibly envisioned or created or imagined. It seems amazing to me, but that's always what happens when God takes the lead when God grows the garden, when God brings forth his kingdom in our midst. Our work, it is important. Make no mistake about it. Yes, it is of utmost importance and not to be diminished. But in partnership with God, we can be assured that the end result of our work together 
will yield something amazing, something wonderful. So what do we take home with us today? The call from God in Jesus Christ to keep busy. Because inch by inch, row by row, we're going to make this garden grow. Because rest assured, there's a whole lot of work to do between seed time and harvest. But let's do our part of the gardening, confident that we're not alone in the effort. We never are. Because when God grows the garden, there's going to be something good and wonderful and graceful and righteous working in and through us. It's planting season, friends. Here's to a wonderful harvest. And may our thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, When God Grows the Garden, which was recorded at our June the 13th service of worship at East Church. We're now back to holding indoor, in-person services of worship in our sanctuary at East Church. So if you'd like to join us this summer, please know we gather every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Or if you prefer, you can find us on Facebook Live on our East Congregational Church Facebook page. Either way, consider yourself invited, and we'd love to have you with us. And with that, we come to the close of another episode of this Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and I do thank you for listening. And until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.